Okay, Lawrence. Yes. I want you to close your eyes. Mm-hmm. Take some deep breaths, center yourself for a moment, and I want you to remember way back when we were not represented by a union. Well, that was like, what are you talking about? Because <laughs> guess what? Now Holy. we are. <laughs> Holy shit. So, <laughs> I know. So we can now forever say that BU before union and AU oh. after union. This this is like this huge deal of our lives being marked by a yes. change in our working conditions. And this is all thanks to a, a, a small group of people. Actually, it started with two people turn into a small grassroots effort, people who were just seeing that this is no longer a sustainable way to work. Exactly. Like we've all been fed up. We've all just fought for ourselves, our own teams, just trying so hard to make it work as individuals. But all of a sudden, COVID and having to work in conditions that were unsafe, but we're the ones trying to make sure people are safe. We're the first ones on and the last ones off. And all of a sudden, it just, it took the effort, monumental efforts of a few people to say, I've really had it. We're doing something about this. And no matter what, we're going to work until it's done. And that's what's happened. Obviously, we're talking about Stand With Production and their fight to be recognized as a bargaining entity. They have took a vote. They got the vote authorization to unionize with IATSE, and they are now in the works of building a national union. So today we're chatting with Aaron Weil and Cheyenne Cage of Stand With Production. They're the two co-founders. And we're going to dive in what this means for all of us, how they did it, and what the future holds. Yeah, I'm th- we're, I'm so proud of this moment in time because it has taken so many people over the years have tried and it's just, we're like a, we're, it's like herding cats, this production yeah. people. We all yeah. know what we're doing. We all think we know the best way. Everyone's got an we're opinion. We're all self-taught. <laughs> We've been isolated for so long. So yeah, it, it took, it took um, a monumental effort. So we're here today to discuss that. And this is probably going to be a two-parter. So hold on tight, grab a drink. Hit the intro. Let's go. Welcome to the Producers Happy Hour with your hosts, Sister Christian and Lawrence Lewis. We are two producers with over 20 years of experience each, chatting over drinks about what it means and what it takes to be a good producer. Join us for insightful interviews and informative show topics that will help you get through your toughest jobs, biggest production challenges, and most difficult clients. So grab a drink. You're going to need it. And let's get to it. Because making shit is hard. Hey, Lawrence, what's up with you? Oh, you know, I'm good. I'm good. Same old stuff. Just uh, trying to figure out this fucking weird world. (laughs) In the middle of a strike, maybe there's an apocalypse coming. I'm not paying my taxes. If we have a nuclear war in (laughs) Europe, there's all kinds of shit happening, right? (laughs) Oh, my God. And uh, everything's burning. So, yeah, (laughs) I'm doing great. (laughs) And I also still had to pay, you know, uh, my bills for some reason. Um, Yeah, how are you doing, Christian? (laughs) The end stage of capitalism is eating itself. Oh, boy. I know. I've seen the meme, so I feel like it's true. Well, you know, amongst all these strikes that we have going on and uh, WGA and SAG strike are still, you know, happening. So just following that and I don't know, like trying to rope some work together because it's not particularly busy in LA. It hasn't been all year. It's been crazy. Yeah. I've been scrapping stuff together and it's working and doing fine. But uh, yeah, hopefully some big project with the uh, will book soon. Some glorious project with plenty of days that it pays us our rates. Well, it's going to come oh, in. We'll I can't see. Wait. <laughs> 
It's going to happen. Well, as you said, we're recording this while the the writer's strike and the SAG after strike is still going on. I did hear rumors that the MPAA wants to come back to the negotiating table with SAG after. Well, they fucking should. Yeah, of course they should. (laughs) I can help them and tell them that they should if they want to hear. Yes. Yeah. I bring it up because there is some other big union news in the commercial sector of the film industry. Yes. For as long as we've been doing this, Lawrence, it has been our dream to be represented because we're the only fucking people on set who aren't. But you know what? Part of our job means that we have to know the union rules for every local out there that we work with. But we were always never represented until now. I'm sure you've all heard that Stand With Production has officially voted to create their own union that will cover production workers on commercials. And we have the two co-founders of Stand With Production, Aaron Weil and Cheyenne Cage. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Thank you. Happy to be here. (laughs) Are any of you joining us for a happy hour? I biked to Manhattan and back to Brooklyn, like, right before this, so I'm drinking coconut water. There you go. Yes. Hydrate. Hydrate. Good. Yeah, I pulled out the 1950s uh, fancy cocktail glass. Oh, that is good. Um, I made... I have a garden in my place in Brooklyn and I grow lots of herbs and I'm like an amateur herbalist, like amateur highlighting amateur. (laughs) And I today cut some Tulsi, which is like holy Mm -hmm. basil, and I made tea. And so I'm drinking it iced and it's Tulsi tea. Yeah. Christian, what are you drinking? Well, aside from thinking that I'm an amateur at everything, which, you know, kind of an amateur (laughs) expert at everything, I today am having... A rum punch in my tiki glass mm. because I have the same tiki <laughs> glass. I almost I used it. No <laughs> way. Drop off a job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, all my shit's props off jobs. But yeah, um, I have an yeah. overabundance of rum and punch because I'm having a big blowout party, I think, this weekend. So yeah, it's all there. I think it'll be a blowout. Right. Fun, anyway. fun. Lawrence, what are you having? Well, I, I don't know. I scrambled something together. I don't know what it is. We need to come up with a name for it. But uh, I had some pineapple in the fridge because I love pineapple in the summer. So it's vodka, pineapple juice, two ounces of vodka, two ounces of pineapple juice, an ounce of lime juice, and a dash. There was a recipe It said, what, grenadine? I did maraschino liqueur and splash of soda water. And there you go. It's delicious and it's refreshing. It's very summery. I think it should be called the union. <laughs> there you go. Yes. <laughs> Pro-labor cocktail. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, In this world of crazy production, we could dive so much deeper on the topics we discuss on the show, but we simply do not have the time to cover everything. That's why we've created our episode guide. Yeah, it's packed with valuable resources, references, and other industry updates that we talk about on the show. The episode guide keeps you in the loop and helps you stay ahead of the game. And geez, right now with all this labor stuff going on and all the changes, you need to stay on top of everything happening in this ever-changing industry. Right. So to get this incredibly informative and extremely valuable episode guide, sign up on our website, producershappyhour.com, or click the link in our show notes below. All right, let's get to it. Aaron Weil is a commercial producer with over 20 years of experience, and Cheyenne Cage is a production supervisor with over 10 years of experience. Together, they spearheaded what is now known as Stand With Production. 
Stand With Production's mission is restorative transformation in the commercial production industry through the advancement of workers' rights. By analyzing and identifying the shortcomings in our industry through a social justice lens, they recognize the comprehensive needs of our production community. And now with the full support of IATSE, uh, now made official by a vote, they aim to achieve these goals by creating a new national union for commercial production workers. Erin and Cheyenne, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah. Applause, applause, applause. Yeah. Exactly. I just want to say it's so nice to hear our mission statement read out loud by someone not in our volunteer. <laughs> and you know, Lawrence is, a, Lawrence is definitely available for voiceover work. If yeah, he's available. Enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, such a good voice to read it, too. Wow. Well, you know, first, we got to say congratulations, because as, as Sister said at the top of the show, this has been something many different groups of people have been working on for years to create some sort of parody for all of us production workers who are sitting there, you know, on unpaid days and hours calculating everyone else's overtime but our own. It, it was a monumental task. And how, how do you guys feel? What, what does this moment both mean for both of you? Yeah, a lot of Lots feelings. Of feelings. I, feel, <laughs> I mean, I, I still feel a little bit in shock. Like it hasn't it hasn't yeah. totally set in. I think it's set in a little bit more when someone forwarded me the AICP email that was sent out to the production companies. That oh. was a little a little bit more than just the IATSE calling me and telling me that it was happening. Right. <laughs> what was the tone? You know, I mean, letting their companies know that we won you this know this is happening um yeah this is some happening. weird wording in there that was a little mm-hmm. you know maybe not completely truthful i guess i don't know if i should say that loud, but um it was just a oh. little misinformation ish i mean overall it was enough to make me be like wow okay you know because we weren't expecting it's that happening. we thought we we knew we had won already when that letter had come out because we were told like right. on a saturday and that letter came out on a tuesday mm-hmm. And we thought for sure we would be waiting for a week or two for the AICP to make the announcement because they'd be kind of, you know, just like hemming and hawing mm-hmm. a bit because that's how the whole process went a little bit. But um, yeah. 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 The tone didn't matter because the message was still the right message. And it was mm-hmm. that we had one majority and we were moving forward to find an Good. equitable contract. With or without. Yeah, with yes. So. Yeah. <laughs> Tone mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm not sure how much you guys listen to the show or not, but usually I'm quite uh, forceful when I call out the AICP on their bullshit. So I'm absolutely <laughs> like, I'm, I'm with you. I completely understand. And it seemed like the voting process was long and a bit arduous. Was that by design, do you think, by the AICP? And the answer I feel is yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, lots of uh, dragging their feet <laughs> in this. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. we declared a majority back in December, like beginning of December or mid-December. Um, and it wasn't until last week that we went public with like them finally conceding and admitting we had a majority. Um, and it is August 1st now. So that'll tell you how 
arduous the process was. Yeah. Well, in the digital age and how we get information immediately, like to take seven months. Feels, oh, we had to yeah. do a mail, a vote by mail system mm-hmm. at the end of this to verify yeah. votes because uh, there was pushback on some names. If like that, you know, if maybe someone had two email addresses or they didn't mm-hmm. have their uh, mailing yeah. address listed. And so the, the last final push of this was like probably the biggest hurdle of all, because we knew that there was a determinate amount of people people in the unit that were going to decide the majority or not. We knew that we had the majority. We knew that we had buffer on the majority, but we didn't know how many folks were going to be getting this like pink letter that was coming from a neutral arbitrator and they had to receive the letter in the mail, which we know the mail system is also Mm -hmm. not very reliable, you know, these days. (laughs) And then not only that, they had to check it off and then return it. And then it had to be received on the other end. So we really, we had to call the entire unit one by one, reach out to people to make sure that they were getting their letters, if they were supposed to get their letter, that they were sending it back. We had lots of instances of like incorrect addresses and, you know, people being lost in the mail, all of that. But ultimately we got 83% of the unit to respond and and confirm with us. And it was enough to push it over and get our majority. Holy shit. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I, I I got, I was one of the pink envelope people for some reason. You You know, I've had a couple different, (laughs) yeah, I've I've got a couple different email addresses, so they probably Mm -hmm. have a different one. I don't know, but yeah. And they missed, I sent it in and I called her, confirmed they received it. They didn't receive it. They asked, I asked them to send me another one. So yeah, it was a, they didn't make it easy. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a, it was like a fairly full on military operation that we had to put together, you know, but once again, we're production people and we're damned if we do and we're damned if we don't, but yeah, if we (laughs) we don't do that, right. (laughs) Right. We're never scared of hard work. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the next steps now that IOTC is reckoned the vote has happened and you are now recognized? I'm sure there are many, many next steps, but Mm -hmm. can you summarize? Yeah. I mean, I think we know the next couple of steps. Well, we're Cheyenne and I are going to Chicago tomorrow to the um, governor's executive board meeting of IOTSE. And there they'll vote on our union. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mike Miller, who's the vice president of IOTSE, said Mm -hmm. it'll be unanimous. So they've invited Cheyenne and I to be there for that. Holy shit. And and then, so we'll be voted on. And then Mm -hmm. we will put together a proposal with our advisors from IOTSE that will then go to the president and to the vice president of IATSE, which basically will set a time frame of when we uh, feel like we can be at the bargaining table with the AICP, uh, because the president of IATSE, Matthew Loeb, and Mike mm-hmm. Miller will be negotiating for us for our first contract. We'll put this proposal together, and we're hoping, you know, before the new year, we'll be negotiating our first contract. In the meantime, we're working on our constitution and our bylaws, Mm -hmm. as well as we have a bargaining committee together and we'll be working on on those points as well. Can I ask, is that when you get when the local number is assigned as well? Everyone wants to know about the local Everyone number. Wants to know. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm pushing right through it's, and asking the important questions. It's the biggest questions. priority for everyone I know. involved for most is the people. local number. What's our number? I yeah. know. <laughs> we're, we're working on it. That's something that we have to figure out with IATSE. We're still kind of waiting on their directive, but you know, lots of different opinions there. <laughs> 
I'm a little dark-hearted, so I wanted to be 666, so everyone's afraid of us. You know? <laughs> and Aaron, I'm sure you remember back in the day, 20 years ago in New York, like I do, like the PAs got together and called themselves Local Zero. There's been yeah. some fun ones through the years. <laughs> right. So yeah, there like... <laughs> I know. We've been exactly. talking about double zero because I think that I, if that's an mm-hmm. option, something cool, uh, you know, <laughs> something cool that uh, yeah, yeah that puts we're us not at the top. we're not entirely sure we have a say in yeah. the number, but <laughs> no, if of we course, do, I would imagine me, not. Yeah, we will have. You're a gonna say. get a good one. Just like it's like picking <laughs> yeah. your cell phone number. If you get a chance to, you have yeah. to do it. So. <laughs> Hey, Christian, what's the most important thing about film production? The setup, pre-production, the most important part. But you know what? A lot of people think that, but you're kind of missing a step. Oh, right. The kickoff calls, because that's how you set up your prep. Right. That's where you got to get all the right questions answered at the right time and set deadlines for those answers so you can put your prep on the right path to success. Exactly. Right. And this can be accomplished with four kickoff calls. You need at least four, in my opinion. And I think for us producers, the most important one is the one with your producing partner, either the ad agency producer or your main client contact, because that's where, like you said, set the tone, set expectations, give them deadlines for when you need these answers, because timelines are already way too short for prep. I know we could always use more prep time, right? And budgets are shrinking. So don't waste any time. So what we've done is we put together our top seven questions that you should ask your agency producer or client now on that very first kickoff call. Not only does it help answer questions that you may have, it also allows you to set the tone and, you know, establish yourself as the leader of the project, (laughs) which is also a very important step as well. So we'll put a link in the show notes where you can get on our website and take a listen to our free audio bonus. Another delightful conversation between me and Sister Christian about (laughs) best ways of setting yourself up for success. Yeah, it's a page turner. (laughs) (laughs) Check it out. Okay, so speaking of socials, we have a lot of questions from production teams, and I doubt any of these or all of them or some of them maybe can be answered in this early stage, but here's just a few. These are going to be very basic questions, I'm sure, but who is eligible to join the union and how will people qualify? Yeah, so that is definitely one of the things we have to figure out. Um, okay. Something that is cool about a union and, and Aaron and myself, I mean, as you introed us, like we worked uh, in production and that's all we knew. Yes. Like we we learned everything that we've learned about organizing, mm-hmm. about unionization in mm-hmm. this process over the last, you know, just over a little over a year and a half, almost coming on mm-hmm. two years. And one of the very cool things is that the unions are the workers. So this really is about democratizing the workplace and giving everyone a say and membership and eligibility. It's it's all stuff that we have yet to figure out along with our constitution. I will say that like really at the core of this, we want this to be about community and we want this to be about providing support where there has not been support um, and uplifting folks where, you know, who haven't had support in this industry. And so we want it to be as inclusive as possible, membership as easy as possible to join while still maintaining the integrity of the union. So I will I will say that we, we don't know yet, but we definitely want as met to support as many people as possible and to make it accessible for as many folks as possible as it makes sense to. And, and I think to just caveat, it will be people who work in commercials. Right. You know, we're not at this stage going to be able to open it up to production assistants who work in film and television. Since we're going into the contract mm-hmm. with the AICP, it has to be 
with folks the AICP covers in other contracts. So that makes sense. Makes complete sense. Yes. I assume that like all the other details of like what benefits do the members receive? Is there a pension? Is there, you know, what is, how does work protection work and membership costs, dues and all that kind of stuff that is going to be figured out over the next few months. Yeah, for sure. And that's something that's not, you know, that's figured out by us as a community as well. We will continue to host town halls, we'll have surveys, all of that. I mean, the one thing that I'm pushing on every single response to every email is like, please remain engaged so that, you know, your needs and can also be a part of this. So yeah, it's something we've we've yet to work out, but it's going to be a collaborative effort. And and just to be clear, also things like pension and healthcare are things we bargain for. So we'll come to the table, to the bargaining with a concept or the idea of what healthcare we want and what kind of pension and so on and so forth. But those things won't be decided until we have a contract. Right. And something cool about it is now that we have a union, those things also can't change or be taken away without our approval and our say, um, which is not the case right now. Right. So, and, and so that's kind of the thing that I, I, I kind of want to drill into is, is that, you know, stand with production arose at this time of really challenging jobs in the middle of the pandemic, in the middle of all the social uprising. It was like kind of felt like this culmination of like these jobs are no longer sustainable. Like they're yeah. so hard. They're <laughs> so complicated. They're so complex. We're working mm-hmm. so many free hours. I, I don't need to go into the details. Everyone listening knows it. So it was a, a very specific moment in time. And it led to Aaron, you walking off a job and, and putting out this this public letter about what was happening. And once this kind of group of people started chatting and talking about what changes they'd like to see, the the focus was on about making the jobs more humane and sustainable, not necessarily about making more money or getting overtime or getting a higher rate. So has there been any discussions within the group about how a set of union rules could function in that way to bring more humanity to these jobs or at least some kind of sustainability to these jobs? Absolutely. I mean, that that's the that's at the core of this, too. And the money is what is the language, I think. Right. That exactly. is, and it's the yes. language that yeah. the, the companies understand and it's the language that the client understands and the agency understand. And it's really about guardrails. I mean, I don't think a lot of IATSE rules now, I don't think like in, infringing on turnaround time is, you know, it's it's an insane fee. Yes. You, you often have to yeah. pay three times the day rate for mm-hmm. that. And that's something that's absurd on a crew of 75 people. People, like the, the overage would be insane. Mm-hmm. So it's right. it's so high because you don't want people to actually infringe on, on the turnaround. And I think it, it kind of works the same for us as well. It's like we're able by speaking the same language that already exists with it. That is the standard mm-hmm. of this industry. And as mm-hmm. you mentioned, sister, like we've just been left out of this like small mm-hmm. group of folks who happen to have, you know, a large group of them production assistants who are not making a living wage, who have mm-hmm. no access to health care. You know, a lot of the bipolar people in this industry mm-hmm. happen to be in this department as well, the production who've been unrepresented. It's about creating guidelines in the, the way that already exists and like speaking that language so that we can have those protections. And I also think it's really important too to talk about wage increases mm-hmm. and inflation, especially now yes. when inflation is skyrocketing, especially post-pandemic. So it's like asking for more money isn't about the money. It's about asking for what we need to sustain our livelihoods. 
Um, so the mo- the money is like the dialogue and it's it's the practicality of it, but really it's about we need to live. Yeah. <laughs> we need to be yeah. able to rest. We need mm-hmm. to be able yes. to go to the doctor. We need to be able to retire. You know, like these are all things that are quality of life issues. Totally. I know that the Teamster Union out here in LA just increased their turnaround time from eight to nine hours, something like that, which it directly affects production workers. <laughs> like what I don't think anybody took into consideration until um, drastic measures were taken was that we are always the first ones on, the last ones to leave. We're taking care of everybody there on set, but there's nobody there to take care of us unless the people we happen to be working with are allowing it. And that's just no way to live or or keep our keep our livelihood. Um, we've all been doing this for a very long time, so we know we've navigated these waters for so long that it just felt normal. And it took like totally. such a huge thing, like in the entire world shutting down for two years for us to realize mm-hmm. that we have the power as the people. Mm-hmm. I know. I yeah. get these phones. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also... This is this is a movement for the production department mm-hmm. where, you know, literally unionizing the production department, which are production assistants, you know, assistant production supervisors or coordinators, production mm-hmm. supervisors, or also known as production managers, line producers and bidding producers. But everyone is yes. going to feel the impact everyone. of this because it really is like bottom up, you mm-hmm. know, organizing. If PAs suddenly have a turnaround... And that that's mm-hmm. just going to impact everyone else. You know, it doesn't matter that the Teamster or turnaround is nine hours if the PA turnaround is also nine hours because they're going to their day is going to be even shorter. Exactly. You know, so it's it's just kind of re-standardizing and normalizing like 10 hours a day is still way too much. But even so, like I'll take it at this point, progress is made in like small increments. And, and once we have these protections in place for the production department, everyone else is going to feel it as well. Yeah, I mean... 10-hour days or 12-hour days, the same amount of work happens. You just spread it out over a longer amount of time. Exactly. And you're less tired by the end of the week, so you're Mm, more productive. All of that. And then you have a weekend? Holy shit. You come into work happy? It's crazy how that works. Yes. We used to joke, like, during the process that um, in two years from now, the AICP members are going to be like, God, I'm so glad we thought about this. This was such a good decision. I'm surprised that the letter didn't say that. I'm surprised. (laughs) But I I mean, I do. I think it's going to benefit everyone. And I do think that the majority of the production companies and the EPs of those Mm -hmm. companies really supported Mm -hmm. what we were doing because they know in the end, it's going to help them create boundaries for the agencies. Exactly. And then the agencies can create boundaries for the client and it's going to make everything much more sustainable. And I think that's what's so important to drive home is that, you know, you, you especially now with the SAG actors and the writers and people are complaining, oh, these rich people want more money. And, and it, it's, it's so far from what is actually happening for us, you know, blue collar workers that are, you know, still some people are struggling to be able to, like you said, afford to be able to eat and pay their rent because, you know, the jobs sometimes are feast and famine. And then there's the whole humanity aspect of like, you know, this conversation about the hours we work has been going on for decades. Haskell Wexler and his documentary, Who Needs Sleep, about people running off the side of the road and dying because they worked a 16, 17, 18 hour day. These are the kind of guardrails that it seems like, you know, you're focused on and money does follow that. But and, and it is the tool that we have to 
leverage those kind of changes. I also think it's really important that we don't look on like what the standard has been yes, for yes, what, what yes. needs to happen. <sighs> because I think if we're like, I, I see a lot of this happening on like social media and mm-hmm. with other labor movements as well. Yeah. And this kind of like criticism of, oh, that's too much. People are asking for too much. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. let's not look at tomorrow what we were, or yesterday, what we were making and say, okay, we need a raise based on that. We need to look at the bigger picture. These are right. huge companies that are making so much money money and it's so far removed from like the people who are actually producing the product as well you know it's like maybe we all should be making a a shit ton more money yeah exactly and And that's actually going to be a more balanced system this argument of like well when i was a pa dot 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 when i was a producer dot 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 it's like well isn't isn't our job to make things better and easier for the next generation Dude, to come. I would never ask right? people to do what I was asked to do as a PA. I oh was, my yeah, God. I remember at the time thinking, oh my God, when I'm in charge someday, there's no fucking way I'm going to ask somebody to do this. without. Or if I have to ask somebody to do this, I'm doubling their rate for the day. It, it's hazing. Um, it totally just is. because you were able to do this to some kid that came into college when you were a senior in college doesn't mean that <laughs> that they should turn around and do it again. It's not fair. It's just, it's inhumane, as you said, so. Yeah, it's like Stockholm Syndrome yeah. a bit too, I think. It's kind yeah. of like to the the system at large, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. and it's so tied into people's own self-worth as well. It's like to say that someone shouldn't have more because you didn't have more, it's like, no, you deserve more as well. Yeah, everybody should <laughs> have more. Everyone should have more. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like we got to get out of this like kind of scarcity mindset. Yeah. It's like abundance. There is a lot. And when we band together and we support each mm-hmm. other and like the goals are wellness for everyone and, you know, equity yeah. and all of that, it's like there's plenty to go around. Yeah. Paying dues doesn't mean abuse. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. One of the most, you know, nourishing things about Stand With Production is you know, all the different department titles within our group, you know, and every, in creating that kind of equitable environment amongst us all, you know, because everyone is represented in the, yes. in the leadership in this organization and really like being able to kind of like hold space for the, especially the production assistants and like learning how mm-hmm. to hold their mm-hmm. own agency, mm-hmm. you know, for like being able to mm-hmm. talk to a producer within the group and feel confident mm-hmm. and, and tell them what they need and what they would like for their group, you know, and, and really like offering that, that time and that space for them to just take, take more and more and more of the space up so they can be leaders too. And that's been really beautiful to see. And I think as an organization, as a whole, like that is what's going to happen on a, a bigger level for production mm-hmm. assistance, having this, having this community, you know, there for them and know that they're supported and know that they can ask for what they need, you know, and be heard. Um, yeah. That yeah. that feels really great. Yes, um, uniformity too. Like I feel that when a production assistant falls in with a good team, they're lucky. But if they get hired mm-hmm. randomly by somebody who doesn't adhere to ethics <laughs> or morality rules or have, you know, mm-hmm. has the attitude of like, well, when I was a PA, I made 25 bucks a day and I worked 16 hours mm-hmm. and I returned film and all those dumb fucking stories right. we've always heard. You know, it's so equity across the system as to procedures even would be great because we're all know that we learn this by ourselves on our mm-hmm. own most of the time, not asking mm-hmm. questions, trying to figure it out. Telephone trees of who has the emergency number for the Humane Society over the weekend in New York, you know, that kind of shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I even, I mean, I think 
everyone would probably on this call would probably agree that I've seen such a shift even since I was an office PA, you know, oh, yeah. like 12 years ago. And oh, now yeah. being a PA, I think there was mm-hmm. more room for that training. And there was more room for like, you know, peer to peer kind of like mentorship. And now you're just the, the job, as you said at the beginning, like the jobs are so unsustainable. They're nearly impossible to, to pull off and there's no space for, for nurturing that Mm-mm. in the people around you, you too. Have to have so that, that's something that like we also really need and see. And like, especially like the, the fact that we're unionizing PAs in the U S right now. And this is the, you know, the first time that is happening is like, I just, it's the beginning of so much change. Yeah. Um, and it's really going to open this industry as far as access. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, quite frankly, not everyone can afford to work 80 to 100 hours a week making less than a living wage with no access to healthcare or pension mm-hmm. or any of those things. Like, that's just like such an insanely small group of people who have the privilege to be able to do that, you know, and can do that with their bodies too, like as, a, as health yeah. as well, like the way that you're working and all of that. So by really raising that floor and raising that standard, it's just like it's it's busting it wide open and giving us the opportunity to really take care of people and foster growth as well and change what this industry looks like. Oh, I mean, there's so much to talk about. Like, we're going to have to break this into two parts, Lawrence. I think that was a good stopping point. Yeah, this was a, a, a great interview, a great conversation, so much detail. So we're going to carry this on next episode. So in two Tuesdays from now, we're going to have part two of our conversation with Aaron Weil and Cheyenne Cage from Stand With Production to hear more about the new national union that they have formed with IATSE. Yeah, you might even hear me cry. So You might. Let's do you it. never know. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, Christian, how can people get a hold of you? SisterChristianProduces.com. And Lawrence, if they want you, how do they get you? LawrenceTLewis.com. Until next time. All right. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Producers Happy Hour is brought to you with the help of the handsome Christopher Daniels, who is a design and branding specialist, and Brendan Russell at podlad.com, who is our fabulous editor. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to dive deeper, subscribe to our listeners' newsletter. Simply go to producershappyhour.com to sign up. Thanks for listening, and remember, enjoy happy hour while you can. Because making shit is hard. Hard.